and welcome to another newsflash episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialists. As ever, I'm joined by our head of legal training, Richard Snape. Hi, Richard. Hi, Lizzie. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Friday morning. Looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, me too. But before we um, before we get to the weekend, we've got a podcast to record on leasehold flat management post Grenfell. Um, and this is a topic I think we're intending to do a course on in uh, March. But because it's so causing a bit of a stir at the moment, we wanted to do something a bit sooner. Um, so we're going to be looking at a couple of pieces of legislation, the Fire Safety Act 2021 and the Building Safety Act 2022 um, in relation to service charged caps. Both pieces of legislation have been on the statute book for a few months, uh, but recent changes to inquiry forms and the lender's handbook are what are causing us to speak about it today. So do you want to start with the Fire Safety Act? I think just give us a bit of a, a bit of a background about what the Act does um, and any kind of new or subsequent announcements about it. Yeah, it's um, it's obviously both these acts are relevant to the landlords and managing agents and building owners. But uh, they're obviously also very, very relevant to um, you know, long leaseholders and blocks of flats and also mixed-use developments as well. But like you said, I've summarised the Fire Safety Act. Uh, it's a 2021 piece of legislation. It's uh, you know, We see the Royal Assent on April the 29th of 2021, and we're now in early 2023. It didn't uh, come into force in England until May the 16th, 2022. In Wales, it came into force in October 2021. And it expands on the uh, the regulatory reform fire safety order of 2005, which says that all non-domestic premises uh, must have fire safety risk assessments. And buried in the order is just a, a small part that says that includes the common parts of dwellings, but it never said what the common parts of dwellings actually were. And if you didn't have a risk assessment, you'd um, be in danger of vitiating insurance for the block, but also... The, uh, the responsible people, the responsible person, or the you know, really the accountable person as well, you know, the immediate landlord will be breaking the criminal law. Uh, you know, they could be prosecuted up to two years prison. It's only four sections of the Fire Safety Act, but uh, it basically expands on, on what uh, has to be covered by the uh, risk assessment. And uh, it has to cover any structure, the whole of the structure and exterior, any external doors and windows, any internal doors of dwellings uh, which open into the common parts and any attachments, fixtures, um, they give the specific examples, non-exhaustive of, of balconies and uh, solar panels, the other one that seems to be causing concern. I should have perhaps mentioned it applies regardless of the height of the buildings, unlike what we're about to talk about. And it's whenever you've got at least two on sets of uh, domestic premises in the block. So it is very, very relevant for mixed-use premises as well. That's the that's the Fire Safety Act. I it's a very tiny piece of legislation, but got massive implications. What are the implications? Well, I think it come, coming into force in England in May, Wales in October 2021, in May of last year, it's, I suspect, a large number of fire safety risk assessments are probably out of date with the consequences we talked about. And there have been further... Uh, happenings, if you like, uh, in the last few weeks. So what are the latest developments on the Fire Safety Act? Well, there's one thing that happened last year, which brings us into the Building Safety Act shortly, is uh, the original uh, order never said who has to carry out the risk assessment. 
and the Building Safety Act has provisions that have come into force that make it clear that it's got to be a competent person, a person trained in the ways of, of um, you know, dealing with fire safety. And if the landlord isn't a competent person, they should employ one. That seems to be regardless of the size of the block. I suppose the other thing that's happened is you've got some Fire Safety England regulations of 2022. This is just England, which uh, came into force on January the 23rd, um, a week and a half ago as we speak, of 2023. And it basically says if you've got buildings of 18 metres or more in height, or seven or more stories, then you have to, as the, the responsible person, has to share electronically with the fire and rescue authorities details of external walls and floor plans and building plans. They have to keep hard copies of the floor plan and the lights in, in the secure information box. They have to have low visibility wayfinding finding signage in the event of emergency and inform rescue services of uh, equipment out of action for at least 24 hours. There's a lot of other things it does as well, but uh, that gives you a feel. If you've got residential buildings of 11 meters in height or five stories, you have to have quarterly checks of fire doors and annual checks of flat entrances. So there is a bit more to it than that, but that's uh, a taster. Now do you want to move on to the Building Safety yeah. Act? We'll move on to the Building Safety Act. This it's an enormous piece of legislation, so we're not going to deal with anything but one small part of it. But it's highly significant for both you know, landlords and tenants, and in blocks of flats in particular. Again, whenever you've got at least two you know, residential units, so it, it's applicable to mixed use as well. You know, the whole act has eleven schedules and one hundred and seventy-one sections. It's if you have a lot of regulations as well. If you can't sleep at night, Lizzie. Just try this. But I'll go back to uh, the first uh, point I want to mention. It's um, amended something called Section 1 of the Defective Premises Act from 1972, which uh, came into force in 1974 and basically says it's, a, it's about dwellings generally uh, and not just, not just flats, flats equal to houses. And it basically says that the person who's uh, involved in the building work Tracting work must uh, build the premises, and the work must be done in a, a proper workmanlike, a proper and workmanlike manner, so it's fit for human habitation at the beginning. One thing that changed—it all changed on June the twenty-eighth last year. But one thing that changed is originally it was just about um, new builds and conversions. Now it applies to defective refurbishment work as well. But more significantly, and we'll see how this affects service charge shortly. Uh, originally, there was a, a six-year limitation period to bring claims, quite a short limitation period, and lots of defects don't show up before, you know, until after six years have passed. Since June the 28th, that's changed to 30 years. If the defects occurred prior to June the 28th, the limitation period goes back 30 years, you know, retrospectively. If it's from June the 28th, then it's a 15-year limitation period. And you might think to yourself that, the builders might not be in existence, you know, 15, 30, uh, sorry, 30 years later, certainly they're not going to be in existence. You know, builders, the biggest builders set up companies for that development. And when that development's over, they, they shut down that company. If that was to happen, anybody affected can apply to the high courts. It's very, very unusual. Never seen anything like it in property, but they can apply for something called a building liability order whereby any associated company, any, any um, 
um, trust uh, beneficiaries behind trusts or partners within a partnership can be made liable instead. And so it's quite unusual. Piercing the veil of incorporation, as it says. So that's one thing which is which is significant. We'll have to see what how easy it is for these building liability orders in, in practice. Well, that's not the really significant thing in terms of changing people's jobs. So, so what is that? What's happened? Well, it's various things which were changed in a little, you know, late in the passage of the Act through Parliament. And then we've got some leaseholder protections, England regulations, uh, which um, from July of July the 21st of last year, Although the, the primary legislation is in force in Wales, I should stress, we haven't got the, the detail in Wales yet, which seems a bit odd. The government's basically said, and enshrined in the legislation, that if you've got a high-rise building uh, you know, with at least two dwellings, which is 18 metres or more in height, or if less, it's got seven or more storeys, I think you'd have to check your height as a purchaser, if it's got seven more stories and it's less than 18 metres in height, because you probably wouldn't get in if you're too tall. In those circumstances, uh, the government will pay via a building safety fund for any removal and replacement of combustible cladding. They're still you know, dragging the feet. We had a fund in 2020-21, which rapidly ran out of money, but the government say that they'll remediate combustible cladding. Ask me what about less than 18 metres? What about if it's less than 18 metres? Again, they're still negotiating the detail, but um, if the building's 11 or more metres, which usually equates with four storeys, or if it's five storeys uh, or more in height, they basically badgered the, the building industry and 40 or so builders in England, as less in Wales, have agreed that they will pay a developer's remediation scheme for a developer's remediation scheme. They'll pay for the removal of the, the combustible cladding. The government introduced last year, last April, contracts for them to agree, and they didn't agree. They threw them out in July. Uh, only this week, the government's announced its new contract and wants the builders to agree sometime in March. So we'll have to see what happens on that. What about non-cladding? Well, this is where it gets bizarre and I have to say unworkable. If you need to cover safety work generally, including things like professional costs, mediation costs, arbitration, yeah. safety work being sort of structural safety collapse and the likes, then the first point, the starting point, is that uh, the developer should pay for it. And if the developer is no more you know, then it should be an associated company come, you know, partner or whatever, beneficiary behind a trust. Uh, if the developer can't be found, there's no more, then the building owner is responsible, but only if they have a net worth of £2 million or more per affected building. And I'll perhaps come back to how you find that out shortly. So they'll have to pay for the safety work. This is for 11 metres or more in high buildings, not for less than 11 metres. If the developer can't be found and the building owner doesn't qualify, they don't have that net worth, then there'll be caps on service charges for long leaseholders of flats if the lease was for more than 21 years in duration and created before February the 14th, uh, 2022. 
Valentine's Day. That's a nice. I was going to say that's an easy date to remember. Yeah, it's a nice touch from Michael Gove. That you won't be able to charge more than ten thousand pounds in any ten-year period, or fifteen thousand pounds for safety work if you're in London in any ten-year period, and that's backdated five years from. Uh, the legislation coming in, this came in on June the 28th last year as well. So that goes back to June the 28th, 2017. If you've got a building, a flat that's worth between one and two million pounds, the cap is 50,000. And if it's over two million, the cap's 100,000 because you need the money if you've got a flat of more than two million pounds. If your flat is worth less than 175,000 or 325,000 in London, they can't charge anything for safety work. But the bizarre thing, Lizzie, and this is very difficult to get your head around, is everything crystallizes on February the 14th, 2022. That's when you decide all these things. It's not you, the current tenant necessary long leaseholder, but it's whoever does the long leaseholder in 2022 and whoever was the landlord in 2022. And you sort of inherit the right to the, the service charge caps and the likes. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have to find how much the flat was worth in February 2022. Oh, the other thing, importantly, is you can claim if on February the 14th, 2022, forget when Valentine's Day is, but only you can always claim for your main residence. But if you've got other flats, you can only claim for up to three. So if you've got more than three flats in the whole, well, not just flats, actually dwellings in the whole of the UK and not just England, because these caps only apply to England so far. And you can't qualify for anything other than your main residence. It's not you again. It's, it's you know, the person you with the long leasehold on the February the 14th, which is why, obviously, you know, the property lawyers and conveyances have to find out details of the um, you know the, the value of the property and you know, details of the long lease solder details of the landlord going back to february the 14th 2022 it's bizarre how do they do that well firstly the landlord if they want to carry out works and charge via service charge you know safety works uh have to give the tenants something called a, a landlord certificate or if they become aware that the tenant's selling within four weeks, they have to produce a landlord certificate, or they can uh, you know, just give the landlord certificate to the tenant, basically, or the tenant requests one, they've got four weeks to, to uh, provide one. And if they don't provide in time, they can't, they have to, they can't charge anything for the safety work. And the landlord certificate is a hefty document. And it's not something that uh, you can easily sort of produce you have to produce the company accounts they have to be certified by a chartered accountant or a, a finance director of the company you have to show evidence of the net worth of the landlord and any associated companies if you're a joint venture you have to produce evidence that it's not a joint venture you've got to produce evidence that um, uh, you have no association with the developers and quite a lot of other things besides and the leaseholders they can be required to fill in and give the landlord a deed of certificate, a leaseholder's deed of certificate, which has to produce things like official copies. If the flat was last sold after December the 31st, 2020, that's taken to be the price on February 2022. Otherwise, you produce official copies and there's a, there's a formula, which means absolutely nothing to me. 
whereby you can sort of decide what it must be worth now. And they have to produce evidence of, you know, if needs be that uh, you know, they're the, it's their main residence, like utility bills or bank statements and the likes, tax returns. They're hefty, hefty documents. I just can't think it's workable. I think the professional fees involved in these things, landlords can't charge for, uh, for serving the notices. But the fees, the professional fees involved mm. would be similar to the savings and service charge, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. So what's happened recently then that's brought this all to our attention? Well, it's been around for, you know, saying, bizarrely, it's enforcing Wales, but we have none of the detail like that. Well, it brings in another thing that's, you know, you can spend ages on, but we won't. It's the EWS1 certificates, the external war fire reviews, which have been causing chaos when valuers basically tell the mortgage companies that uh, we want one of these things before we can value the property because it's got uh, you know, cladding and we need to know what kind of cladding is. It is one of this high pressure laminate, which is causing problems. December the 6th, um, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors you know, late last year produced new guidance for, for valuers in relation to you know, valuing flats that might have cladding. Basically, part of the valuation process is um, taking into account whether you've got the benefits or may have the benefit of one of these remediation schemes, whereby the government's paying for the removal of the cladding. Just before Christmas, Lloyd's Group, who are the biggest mortgage lenders of all, because they include people like Halifax and Scottish Widows and various others, announced that if you got the benefit of a remediation scheme, they wouldn't require an EWS1 certificate. And in January, various other big lenders, NatWest, HSBC, Santander, Nationwide and Barclays, made various announcements to the effect that if you're members of a remediation scheme, we might not need these uh, EWS1 certificates. I think Lloyd said only an 11 metre or more in height buildings. So bizarrely, it might be the, you know, the three-storey blocks that might have problems. On January the 9th, what was taking the, the conveyancing profession by surprise. And it brings in the management side of things as well, because I think the, the managing agents and the landlords are going to have to deal with it. The leasehold flat management inquiries, the LPE ones changed, and that they've now got uh, various questions about uh, is the flat subject to a remediation scheme, and you know, can we see copies of the leaseholder's deed of certificate and the landlord's certificate, and the TA seven, which is the the conveyances, it's the it's the TA seven. Uh, for the conveyances, which is the leasehold property information form, has changed quite dramatically. Has got huge numbers of, of questions about sort of, you know, sort of mediation schemes and the likes. So it's all go at the moment. Oh, I should also say that over the last few weeks, again, it's February the third today. Uh, a lot of the mortgagees have been changing their individual instructions. It's part two of the lender's handbook. Uh, saying what they want of uh, you know, the purchases with mortgages and thus, you know, what the sellers and the landlords will have to provide and the agents. And I won't bore you with it, but if you look at Barclays and Nationwide, it's a book. It's absolutely unworkable. And they say, or seem to say, Barclays and Nationwide, they would want all this information about landlords' certificate, deeds of certificate, whether the block is, or whether the flat is in a block of, 11 meters or more in height or not. Nationwide bizarrely wants things like if the property is subject to the benefit of a mediation scheme, what the 
your mediation work hasn't been done yet. They seem to want the conveyances to uh, certify that uh, the adequate interim fire safety is measures in place, which is impossible. I does a conveyance to do that. So it's all chaos still, but we'll have to see what happens with the EWS ones. And uh, hopefully all the other mortgages will follow suit and we'll have a bit of clarity. So that's it, Lizzie. Not the last time. Okay, well, I'm sure, yeah, as you say, we'll be back to talk about the topic again before the end of the year. But thank you very much. Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again in our next episode.